Good morning. This is a bit of a new, okay, it's a totally new experience for me. <laughs> I've stood up to share various uh, more technical information about what's going on in the life of our church, but it's something very different to have um, sat down and written out a piece of my journey um, it, uh, with God and then to be prepared to actually share that out loud. And so um, I feel tremendous peace about doing it. I know that the Lord's asked me to, and so that's the spirit in which I'm just going to go ahead and share my story and trust that as I do, that the spirit will highlight the stuff that, um, that's in it for each of us because, you know, he's a, he's a good loving father who takes each of us through our own journeys, um, through our own hard times and easy times. Um, but the common theme is just his unwavering faithfulness and goodness to us. And so um, it's no coincidence that I'm sharing on Mother's Day. That was part of the point, um, part of what I felt convicted to do. Um, and uh, mothering, Mother's Day has not typically been a day of rejoicing for me over the last uh, number of years, other than celebrating my mom and my wonderful mom-in-law, both of whom are here and I love dearly. So it's always fun to get to uh, celebrate them. But on a personal note, it's been a day of grief and a day of wanting really just to go away and hide. Um, so I come from a large Dutch family, and my mom is one of six kids. My dad is one of ten, and I myself am the youngest of six kids. And at last count, I have 22 nieces and nephews and eight great nieces and nephews. So our family has been really blessed. And growing up, I confidently expected that I was going to help increase that number. Um, my mother has always been such an amazing role model to me. She's one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. And I've always wanted to be just like her, a large family and all. So it was something of a surprise when Sean and I were unable to become pregnant when we wanted to. A year went by and my doctor encouraged me not to assume the worst. But as medical testing and specialist referrals continued, it became increasingly apparent that we would not be able to have biological children. And I processed this with disbelief. How could this even be? I knew, knew with every fiber of my being that I was intended to be a mom. Was my intense desire the very thing preventing pregnancy? Finally, after lots of testing and various treatments, all accompanied by the emotional and mental drain of the roller coaster ride, are we pregnant this month or are we not? We sat at the desk of the specialist at the fertility clinic and were told that we had a 1% chance of conceiving. He proceeded to lay out some fertility treatment options, and he quoted prices, and he suggested that the success rate could be up to 50%. We went home crushed. At this time, I began to wrestle more deeply with God and with my desire for motherhood. Was there some overlooked sin in our lives? Wasn't the promise of offspring a biblical one? Weren't we allowed to ask for our own quiverful? Why did I feel this need so deeply? I was only aware that on every level of my being, I yearned to carry birth and hold my own child. In the meantime, our friends and families were having little ones of their own all around us. It was very bittersweet. I craved to hold those newborns and mostly dreaded the conversations with the moms. You're expecting? Congratulations! Especially that when they were experiencing their own pregnancy or parenting challenges. Lost a little sleep? I'd give my eye teeth to be where you are. <laughs> And I can't even remember how I managed the baby showers. At the baby dedication of our very dear friend's first child, 
I grew increasingly uncomfortable. I had the emotional equivalent of that queasy, water-filling-your-mouth feeling just prior to vomiting. I tiptoed out of the living room and collapsed in the kitchen, racked with sobs I couldn't even suppress. Another friend came along and, and held me while I wept. I just couldn't make sense of my pain. Why couldn't I just get over it and move on? And as I sat there weeping, I saw Jesus come and sit down beside me and put his arm around me. And when I looked at him, he was, he was weeping too. <clears throat> Time went on. Sean and I talked about fertility treatments, weighing the cost, the low success rates, the ethics of the particular form of treatment that had been recommended to us. Keenly aware of the emotional toll, I was reluctant to take on such a chancy option. My heart couldn't take much more disappointment. I began talking to the Lord about my desires and asking him to help me. I was very much in a place of wanting to persuade him to see things my way. But I knew that my way was tearing me apart inside. I had begun to disassociate myself from my desire for motherhood. And perversely, I had to work through fear about how I might react to actually becoming a mom if that was ever possible. Israel had asked for a king and God gave them one but told them they wouldn't like it. In answer to prayer, isn't always sunshine and roses. We decided against fertility treatment. We went on a holiday, and I began to allow God to open me to the possibility of not having biological children. I began to mourn the loss of pregnancy, childbirth, nursing, seeing our family's features and character traits in our own little ones. It felt like death. Our parents stood beside us, listening, praying, reassuring, affirming their love for and support of us, withholding their own grief. I slowly began to give God permission to help me be okay with this. I was still plagued with that 1% chance. I couldn't seem to stop playing out scenarios of discovering that despite everything, we found ourselves pregnant. I longed for an end to the uncertainty, even if it wasn't the end I actually wanted. I wrestled not to not resent signs of fertility all around me. I sought out a pregnant acquaintance at church. This was a prior place where Sean and I were attending. I sought out a pregnant acquaintance at church, confessed my bitterness, and asked for her to pray for me sort of on behalf of pregnant women. And that broke a lot of the power of isolation I had begun to build up between the haves and, well, me. Sean and I began talking about adoption. While Keenly aware that it's not a cure for infertility, it's an opportunity to parent. And aren't we all adopted into God's family? That's his heart for sure. So we went to a local adoption agency and signed up. We went through the application process, the home study, the classes. We paid the fees. We requested a domestic adoption of a newborn or an infant. We set up a nursery. I began stocking it with everything a new mom could need in both boy and girl flavors. Hope was growing with it. And hope was growing again and with it, anxiety and fear. We learned about the process a pregnant woman could, would consider when unable or unwilling to parent the child herself. We put together a profile of ourselves to be shown to clients of the adoption agency, and we began waiting. Proverbs 13:12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. 
My heart, not fully healed from the infertility journey, was definitely sick. Life felt uncertain. The holiday schedule came around at work, and I was at a loss to know what to ask for. This was before call display was commonplace, so most every incoming call came with stomach knot. Walking by an empty nursery was its own str strain. I struggled to find peace in the waiting. A year went by. The agency was unable to confirm whether or not anyone had seen our profile. We continued to wait. I continued to sicken inside. Over the course of the next year, the clinical depression I'd been under treatment for since my early adulthood, not surprisingly, flared up. I reached a point where I found it difficult to function, and my doctor took me off work for about six weeks. I tried to rest and trust, but felt my nerves just stretched taut. Then came a painful conversation with our adoption social worker. When she discovered that I was off work, she reproached me for not advising her, saying that we would need to have our names temporarily removed from the waiting list if I wasn't emotionally well. I was devastated once again. My own overwhelming desire for motherhood had seemingly betrayed me. Did I want this so much that I was actually preventing it? Shortly after that, we received our second annual fee from the adoption agency for being on the waiting list. I broke. I simply couldn't do it anymore. Many people have gone through more, had more challenges, but not me. I had reached another end of myself. I took apart the nursery, and Sean and I began talking about life without children. I found another layer of surrender. I laid down more of my desires before the Lord and begged him for mercy. I began to question whether or not I could find fulfillment in life without being a mother. Prior to this, I had refused to even ask that question. More time passed. Life settled into a rhythm and I held babies whenever I could. Slowly, slowly I continued to ask the Lord how to reconcile my longing with my reality. Patiently, he continued to coach me to lean into him. And then, as my heart slowly began to heal, we began talking about foster parenting. Maybe this was a way for us to share our love with little ones in need. And it felt separate from the question of being parents, which was a loaded issue for me. So off we went to the ministry, taking the pre-training course, filling out the seemingly endless paperwork, and doing another home study. It was even more thorough than the adoption agencies. We learned about the guidelines for foster parents, the special considerations required for kids coming into care, and we hit another roadblock. The ministry required some extra steps be taken before they could approve us. With my only partially healed heart, life fell apart again. I was depressed to a degree I had not known before. I was barely able to care for myself. I was off work for six months, struggling to get out of bed and do the basics of life. This was a desperate time. I still have substantial blanks in my memory from that season. In my desperation, I determined that whatever it took to get better and stay better couldn't possibly be worse than the current reality. I went for counseling and committed myself to getting better. It was a grim mess, but the Lord was alongside me every step of the way, freeing me up. With less dignity, but more grit and determination, I emerged on the other side. We completed the ministry's home study and received their commendations and puzzlement on our integrity. I set up another nursery. 
And then in July of 2011, I received a call at work from the ministry. They had a six-month-old baby boy who needed a home that very day. I put my head down on my desk and cried, this time with joy. We brought the most adorable little boy into our home that day and put him into the crib for a nap. I couldn't quite believe it myself. We had two precious, challenging weeks with that little man. We changed diapers, bottle and food spoon fed him. We held him and listened as he laid in the crib after waking, babbling softly to himself. We dressed him in the clothes I had carefully washed and stored in the dresser. We took him to meet our families. And unexpectedly, he returned home to be with his mother after 14 days with us. I got to sleep through the night again. <laughs> and I continued to wonder and question God, was this journey the right one for us? We had another placement shortly after that. This little girl was only 10 weeks old. And this was a very different experience from that happy little boy. This sweet girl had sadness in her eyes that no wee baby should have. The separation from her mother was all over her. She was moved to another foster home after only a few days, and once again, Sean and I looked at each other and said, what's next? Could we do this, care for these especially needy and broken little ones, learning how to parent from scratch while continuing to heal ourselves? Once again, I was on my knees. The moment came when I was finally able to surrender the last little bits of this journey to the Lord. I had no reputation left, no pretense, no de desire to control the outcome. I simply wanted to rest in his lap. And he met me yet again, so powerfully and so faithfully. But I can't be amazed, I cannot but be amazed and testify to his goodness to me. We stepped out of foster parenting. I took apart that nursery one last time. I donated everything I could. I tentatively poked around inside my heart and found a peace there that I would never have thought possible. The Lord has affirmed to me my worth in his eyes. And he sees nothing lacking in me. The interesting piece for me is that I still don't understand why. He could have directed our paths quite differently. I know he has the power to heal. And yet, that's not the way it's turned out. He has used this journey to accomplish his purposes in me. That I know. He truly makes beautiful things out of dust. Whatever you see and hear from me today that is redeemed and at rest is entirely him. I was a mess, and Sean can attest to that. We have been able to relish and invest in the lives of many kids around us, from our own nieces and nephews to many of our friends' children. We're honored to be part of the village it takes to raise each child we come into contact with. Oh, thank you. I really didn't think I was going to cry. I still adore snuggling newborns almost more than anything else. I also enjoy sleeping in. <laughs> going out when I feel like it, having the freedom we do. I no longer feel in competition with pe my peers who are moms. We are more alike than we are different. I want to enter into their journeys and support and encourage them in what they go through as moms. And I receive support and encouragement from them as well. Last year on Mother's Day, not 
typically my favorite day of the year, I was overwhelmed with gratitude to our Father for all that he's done for me. Instead of dreading the day and how it could represent my loss or lack, it was a day of celebration for me. That God could move me from grief and despair to wholeness and acceptance is nothing short of a miracle. And I've felt convicted ever since to testify to his goodness. You may have been on your own journeys of pain and waiting. You may be in the middle of such a journey right now. It may look diff very different from infertility. Whatever the case and wherever you may be, without in any way being glib about the reality of the pain, I want to encourage you to talk to God. He is good and faithful and loving, and he is completely trustworthy, even with the dearest desires of our hearts. lot of our story in there as well. Can I go on? It's on? Okay. Um, and I think that all of us can relate in some way because there's not one of us in this room who is perfectly whole. Mm -hmm. We're all broken at some place. And one of the things that scripture says in this uh, Galatians 5 passage about the fruit of the Spirit is God produces in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Rarely does he do one of those in a vacuum all unto its own. Mm -hmm. By his grace, he does them together. And then it says there's no law against these things. Another word for law is rules. There's no rules when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things, Miriam, you touched on is that, okay, God, teach me patience. And this is how I would like you to do it. These are my rules. If you work within these guidelines, I'll get it. And God says there are no rules. When you come to me and uh, you lay your life in front of me and you say, okay, Spirit, fill me and produce your fruit within me, God says, thank you, there's no rules how I'm going to do this, except these, that you know that I love you, that I'm faithful. I will not harm you. My ways are mysterious. You won't get it all the time. My ways are higher than yours. You're not going to understand that till the day that I greet you at heaven's doorstep. It's different. And so he wipes all those things away, and he says, thank you for your openness. Here we go. And uh, we ride that, and we can't ride that alone. Yeah. And uh, today we want to go into a time of prayer. Friends, some of you guys are trying to ride it alone. Um, that's called pride. Pride is 
not accepting the things that you need. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer. The worship team's going to come up. Band, why don't you guys come on up? There's going to be people more than normal around the sides and the back um, to pray with us. I'm going to ask Miriam to pray with us. Some of you guys are still struggling and saying, God, these are my rules. And he's saying, you know what? That's pride. Lay down the rules and let me go to work. Lay down your guidelines. The ceiling will be much higher than you can ever imagine. Lay down the pride that says, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do it by my way. Let God's spirit move and work in you with love and grace, with tenderness, with compassion, with all those fruits of the spirit that he wants to work in you. And, uh, and let's do it together as a community. doesn't mean you need to open up everything to everyone like Miriam so bravely did today. Um, but it probably means that you need to open it up with more than what you just have if you're stuck in your own self and the pain is, is uh, residing there by yourself. Um, and so we're going to invite you and we're going to challenge you because that's what God calls us to do. Fruit of the Spirit. There's no rules. And so we want to throw those human rules out the door. Miriam, you want to pray with us? Yeah. And invite the people who are leading in prayer or available for prayer. They're going to go out to the side. Miriam's going to pray. Jared and the team's going to play. And uh, the Spirit's going to move and work. Father, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness, for your unchanging nature. I thank you that you are holy and full of compassion. And God, I thank you for the gift of surrender, because it truly is a gift. It's not of our own. It's, it's a gift in response to your invitation to us. And sometimes it's very messy and hard fought. We invite your, pres your presence to come. We invite your kingdom to come into this place right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and, um, in the way that you do, in a loving and gentle way, would you put your finger on our hearts, on the areas of our lives where we are struggling to impose rules on how we want you to work out in our lives? Holy Spirit, would you come and bring us into places of freedom? as we let, let go of our idea of how it ought to be or how we wish it to be. The very dreams that are closest to our hearts, God, we can trust you with them. So, Father, we just invite your presence to come, to settle on us. We open ourselves to you. And we open ourselves to um, safety in our community, too, to share our journeys and our burdens with one another instead of struggling with them alone. Come, Holy Spirit, be present.